What's up? What's up, guys? Chad Aradonis, what's up? Good morning. GM, GM. How are things going? Are you are you guys pumped up? I feel like uh, it's just been kind of a crazy week with uh, with everything going on. It was just on Monday that we had that uh, Discord space with uh, the Polygon people, and that was really cool. It, it feels like it was like three weeks ago already at this point, but it was just the other day. <laughs> yeah, it's been a big week. Uh, a lot of exciting things happening right now. Yeah, same. Lots going on. Market's so crazy too. Definitely, uh, definitely a pretty exciting time. Just with everything going on beyond Thorchain specifically, even. Yeah, Chad, what's going on there? Wait, I, I missed something. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> what's happening to which the banks, Chad? Chad? I don't care which Chad. What's happening? <laughs> yeah, I wasn't just, sure. just Chad in general. I wasn't sure which Chad you were referring to. Sometimes it's like, it it's like, like you guys. Like what's going on yeah. is exactly. <laughs> seems like what's going on is exactly you know what what Bitcoin what Satoshi was thinking about in two thousand eight. Yeah, I mean, you have, you have literally have a system that's like uh, you have a financial asset, which is USD in this particular case, where a government creates it, mints it, gives it out to people, goes through the whole process, and then you have individuals who decide to like run systems on top of that, that you are kind of like, in some level, you as, as the government, you're kind of like obligated to some degree, I suppose. Other people would argue against that and they'd probably be correct, but to like make sure that they don't have, they all fail, right? And so particularly in SVVB's case, like there was a cascading effect that was worried about effectively destroying um, many of the community banks rather than like the big giant banks. Because I think, if I'm not mistaken, the, the, the government does F, FDIC insure all of the money for big banks, but only some money for the smaller community banks. I think that's the part of the issue. Yeah, I've seen people talking about that, especially like, you know, if, if a small bank collapsed in, in a state, yeah, you know, probably no one's really going to care. Like re- like regu- regulators or FDIC, they're not going to be like, oh yeah, we're going to come in and, and uh, give you guys full coverage or, or anything like that. It's going to be... Uh, people with big losses and then uh, all right you got to move to preferred bank you got to move to the big bank in order to get out of this sticky situation you're in yeah in particular this, this situation is like because of svb which is i think they hold like maybe half of startups money vcs and and companies it would be like if they did collapse like it would be such a hit to just like entrepreneurship uh and innovation in the country it would, it would just like non that would not be a good thing for the for the country as a whole. So I guess they're stepping in and paying deposits and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, they're just updating some numbers on the spreadsheet, and everything's completely fine. So we saw <laughs> there was a liquidity problem, so we added a couple more zeros at the end of the spreadsheet. <laughs> I hope that solves it. <laughs> That's one way of going at it. <laughs> Well, thankfully, we're trying to build. This is like this. This is one of the fascinating things about like DeFi versus TradFi. Is that like TradFi is not uh, it doesn't use Darwinistic measures to determine which systems are good and bad, right? It doesn't really matter if you design a bad bank. 
the bad bank will continue to function within some reason that the government determines to pick who the winners and the losers are within that context. But in DeFi, there's no government to pick, you know, what is the winner, what is not the winner. In the, in the end, what really is just like a, a Darwinistic system that just picks the, the strong survive and the weak do not. And so things that float to the top are going to be extremely valuable, very resilient and long lasting uh, financial instruments. The things that don't float and sink to the bottom are just going to go away with just like a, you know, most of life has gone away through uh, the Darwinistic process. So it's, it's really interesting to see, like, once we have enough time and exposure and experimentation that we'll eventually get to system, we'll, we'll find a handful of, like, financial systems that will work very well for the long term and be very resilient and reliable. It won't require government to make it, quote, unquote, reliable. So uh, getting down to business for the week here, uh, lending, Chad. Lending is finally, it, I mean, it, it's actually on, uh, it's on StageNet right now. Yep. It's on StageNet and it's on mainnet, technically. It's, it's, it's not enabled on mainnet, but it's, the code is running. Uh, it's there. Um, yeah, we, we, uh, we, we merged the last like major PR for lending um, for in 107. There's still have some bugs to fix and some things to add here and there, but like, you know, relatively small things. And uh, we did our first like kind of testing on StageNet, and we basically had our first Bitcoin loan, right, on Layer One Bitcoin, not some sort of wrapped asset, not some sort of like trusted federation system or whatever else it is, but like legitimately Layer One uh, Bitcoin loan in a decentralized manner. That that's an industry first. That 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 in itself should be a huge news, <laughs> to be honest with you. But you know, the industry is what the industry is. The media is what the media is. It is to us. It seems like a big deal. So, so you actually did the honors of that of that first one, right? Uh, it wasn't me. I think actually it was Pluto was the one. I was, we did on a, on a video call. Uh, we all just jumped in a bunch of myself and a bunch of nine homeless mm. people. And I think video uh, Pluto was the hand that 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 did it in a sense. Uh, so it was. I, I think it was like a hundred dollar, you know, collateral. And I, you know, I, I think you got like a four percent collateralization ratio at the at the configuration that we had at the time. So I think you got. I don't know what the hell that was, like 20 bucks back or something. <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember the actual number, but like the the actual numbers don't really matter so much because those are all just play numbers anyway. Those aren't like representative of, of what Magnet would be, but it was just, it was good just to actually go through the process of opening a loan and closing it fully. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Is it good to keep the 20 bucks? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got to pay back the 20 bucks and he'll get his, his loan back. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And he paid yeah, it back, like and then got his collateral back. So, it was like everything back. functioned, yeah, it was pretty cool to to witness. Yeah, and the whole thing worked. Kyle, you were there, I think, right? You were there. Yeah, yeah, I saw it. You saw it with your own pair of eyes. And you can, if you don't believe us, you can look on chain, and see all, all the transactions happening, right? Like on the a block explorer, see it all happening, which is just like kind of amazing, right? So, I mean, I'm super pumped with this feature. I honestly, I think there's a there's a chance. I'm not saying this is definitively true, but like there's a, there's a chance that lending could be as big as the AMM itself or maybe even larger in terms of like the market demand for such a thing. Like trading between Bitcoin and Ethereum is obviously like hugely important and, and, and very valuable to the industry. Bitcoin loans themselves is, is a whole different beast, right? And so to me, this is like probably one of like the, the biggest feature where we've ever added to ThorChain's history since we launched the network itself.
Yeah, man. Everyone's really excited, and uh, especially to test it. So, um, yeah, I don't know if you, you have any any more info about the actual um, like testing. So, like, <clears throat> I don't know whether people will be able. Uh, people can like just do it right now on StageNet if they if they so chose. But uh, I'm not I'm not sure if there's like a greater um, push around like you know gathering community members to to test or if it's if you know you're just kind of going through. The, uh, the testing framework, the, the regression framework that uh, was recently put together, uh, you know, what, what the kind of process is there to actually get this thing out and whether, whether like the community can just come in and start testing and see, seeing if it works or not. Yep. Yeah, I think uh, technically anybody can do that now if they really, really wanted to. Uh, although I would say, you know, do it with caution because that is obviously a very, very, very alpha feature. Um, most of the work at this point uh, to my understanding is, is um, about more testing and validation, of course, but also um, building the like monitoring around the system to make sure that uh, once we launch it on mainnet, like we have the monitors around the system so that we can notify ourselves in, in the larger community when something is awry. Um, that's one part of it. Other part is building the appropriate like dashboards or UIs um, so that people can check on the state of the status, uh, the overall health of the lending system itself. To understand, you know, if it's going well or not going well, or either direction, whatever that, whatever that is, um, and of course, there's documentation as well, which uh, I know that um, some people with the Nine Realms team have been working on some documentation around this concept as well, uh, and then also also integrations as well, which we haven't even really started with our partners quite yet. Viridanis is on stage; you could probably comment on this, but we haven't really started to talking to our partners quite yet about lending. Uh, that, not to my knowledge, at least. Um, we're probably waiting until we actually get the thing launched, and you know showing it works and all that kind of stuff first, but it's starting to get like, um, I know that some UIs are starting working on it. Like I think ThorStuff's already got a lot of the work done. Uh, I know that ShapeShift is interested in, in integrating the lending concept within their UIs as well and kind of getting more integrations like that way as well. Um, yeah, I mean, there's still a lot of work to be done. The code is the kind of the, the hardest part in many ways uh, in a sense, and, but there's still a lot of more work to be done. So we're still, we still have a ways before we can actually launch the mainnet. Yeah, there's also probably Thor Wallet, who I'm sure would be um, doing that as well. I I, I see that um, they're in the in the chat, and they just said they'd probably be launching it there. Also, Lens, uh, L E N D S, is uh, is going to be launching uh, lending, like their their own front end for lending, basically. So uh, I know they're they're interested in that. So there's there's probably. Uh, and then, and then that, that, obviously, that's not that's not that's only in the Thorchain ecosystem. It's like you know, then it's also on us to start going out and shipping it outside the ecosystem in you know whatever whatever wallets protocol. Like whoever wants to put lending on their front end can do so. We just need to be making the connections to to make that happen. So that's like something that we're actively working on is then uh, you know figure out how like who are we shipping lending to? Like who can you know make use of this feature? Are we you know start talking to wallets like? Uh, so yeah, like super exciting. It, it'd be great to get in in every single wallet in the in the Thorchain eco that we're that we're connected with already. So that that would be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the scale of this feature definitely is huge. I mean, just the the demand could be so massive. I mean, if you even look at something something like Ave, just uh, just on Ethereum being like you know really one of the most used massive protocols in in all of DeFi. And, um, and, you know, like, their strategy wasn't to get into existing wallets. <laughs> their, their strategy was just like, hey, here's, an, here's a something that we made and, 
you know, takes off. So both sides are so bullish. Like, yeah, like, of course, all the Thorchain ecosystem projects are going to get this out. And that that's huge. But then, yeah, getting it into, who knows, Trust Wallet, whatever, like all these other big things over time, if they if they go that route, even better. Yeah, if, if you actually go to, to DeFiLama.com right now and just go to the homepage, and it organizes like the, all the DeFi projects by, by a T- TVL, like the number one um, DeFi app, I don't consider Lido to be DeFi, it's, it's liquid staking, so it's a different thing. But um, the number one is MakerDAO at $7.8 uh, And then Abe is at five, and then Curve's at four and a half billion. So the first two and largest DeFi pr- protocols by, by TVL, right, is, is two lending designs to lending concepts, right? Before you start to get into the, the actual AMMs like Curve and Uniswap and that kind of stuff. So like that kind of, sh- to me, shows me like, that the market is, you know, heavily, like, like MakerDAO is almost twice the size of Curve, right? In terms of its TVL. That tells you that the market is, is you know, there's a strong demand for, for lending in the, in the market in general. And those two protocols really only surface or only, only support like a specific ecosystem, obviously being Ethereum. So, if you take the idea that there's a huge demand for, for, for lending in the industry, there are entire ecosystems that are they're completely void, Bitcoin being obviously the, the large by a landslide. And you take the, the idea that lending itself within the CFI world is completely destroyed and just destroyed itself. And so now there's this like, you know, what is it, 30 or $40 billion where it was in, you know, um, whatever the quantity was in uh, BlockFi and Voyager and Celsius and like, all these guys, like, if you just look at the market analysis of this, like, to me, this this is why I feel like this this lending protocol could be much larger than the AMM itself, because all the numbers point to that, at least from the numbers that I'm looking at right now. So, um, you know, I'm quite excited about it. This, this thing's going to be pretty, pretty amazing. Not to think, not, also not to mention that, like, okay, you got Maker and Ave in there, which total is, uh, right now is about, um, you know, 12 or 13 billion dollars in market cap between the two of those guys. They have a lending design that is obviously very, very different and structured very, very different than the, than the fortune design, right? They have, uh, they have like variable rate interest rates. They have um, liquidations, like all this kind of stuff that people have to be very stressed out and concerned about when they open up their loans. Thorchain's design is radically different. Structured, it's completely different from how those are structured. And in my opinion, like the design is just, it's going to make those those borrowing on those platforms be so much more, um, you know, uh, less in demand on those platforms because there's a, a newer system that gives you a better quality loan in terms of the attributes of what they're capable of getting out of this system versus MakerDAO or Aave. And like, and again, like MakerDAO, like, People use MakerDAO predominantly just to three x long their Bitcoin, their their Ethereum position. Right? This is just on the largely the only the Ethereum asset for the most part, like the vast majority of, it, of loans are for that particular purpose. You apply the idea of what MakerDAO does as a like a way of three x long your your ETH position, and then you apply that to Bitcoin, which is obviously a much more significant asset by market cap, like orders of magnitude. I can't. What is it? I'll look up real quick. Uh, yeah, so the market the market cap of uh, of Ethereum is like two hundred and ten billion, and Bitcoin's at five hundred and twelve or something like this. So it's about twice it. So what double the size of MakerDAO, plus supporting other assets as well, like Ethereum and theoretically we could support uh, Doge and things like that downstream if people want to. Like that's insane to think about. Like the the setup that the network has 
the the demand for the for this feature, the demand for lending across multiple chains and doing it in a better way in terms of like how tasty it is as a borrower is and also CeFi is pretty much dead at this point. And there's really only one player in town, right? For for Bitcoin loans especially. So just like everything about this thing just makes me so bullish. <laughs> like insanely bullish. Yeah, yeah, dude, hundred percent. And then especially like being a being a protocol, that's where the huge advantage comes in. Cause then we could just start shipping it elsewhere. Like, you know, we, we don't, it's not like we just have to grow our platform. Uh, well, what we have to do is make sure that other people are, are just utilizing our protocol. So it's like, I, it, it's, it's a really good spot to be in for sure, where, uh, you know, we can just continue to just creep outwards and to, you know, make, make the right partners and just be in the right spots to meet users where they are. So like, I, I think it's going to be great once we finally get lending like live live. It'll it'll probably be, you know, quite a bit in in testing. I'm sure, but uh, we're we're like we're we're in the race now. Like there is like it is not we're not just that waiting at the starting line anymore. We're actually like you know warming up, getting getting ready. So it's right there. Absolutely. Also, there's a flywheel between the three main pillars, like the AMM savers and and lending because if, if if lending is the one that like first really you know makes thorchain just explode up in in adoption then that's inherently going to drive value to rune which is going to open up space for savers which then as as people want single-sided yield then that allows the amm to be better so you know if if, if that happens that oh and scaling the security of the network of course like that was kind of the initial uh, thought behind this particular design, right? So the things that that the success of lending would solve uh, separate to itself is, is kind of incredible too. So definitely like a huge, huge impact. Yeah, because if you have, if you launch this lending pro, uh, uh, protocol, people have to swap to get into the, the loan and swap to get out of the loan. And so when they're doing that, they're both adding liquidity or like swap fees being accrued to the LPs themselves, to the savers and to the nodes. They're also burning rune as part of the process of swapping through the derived asset as well. So you're actually burning rune and never minting that back in, within, that, within that context. So you're you're creating a more demand for swaps, why you'd want to swap on Thorchain. It's not just about being able to get from Bitcoin to Ethereum or something like this, which is obviously incredibly important but it's also being able to open up a loan so inherently you're going to increase the 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 swap volume of the network right increase the increase the yield of the of the network for both savers and lps especially for lps because as people are, are market buying rune out of the pools you're removing rune from the pools and then you're basically burning it to open up your loan well that naturally creates a, a upward price action market buying assets and then burning it will naturally create upward price action on the rune asset so as an lp because you're leveraged rune as a a dual-sided lp you're going to have really really great yield as part of that just naturally speaking right and then as the right the price of rune is performing well the security is getting deeper to what uh thoreau was just saying and also inherently that means that that as the rune's price is increasing the pools are getting uh, off kilter in terms of the balance between the asset and the rune. Rune's too too valuable. So what happens then? Well, then we just start arbitrage bots start sucking in Bitcoin, sucking in Ethereum, sucking in Doge, sucking in Litecoin, 
all those external exogenous capital gets sucked in the networks naturally through through the through the um, arbitrage process, and so the number of Bitcoin that we hold naturally increases as a part of that as well, right? So like this thing is such a cascading effect to just like that everybody from those LPs savers like just get benefited greatly from it. Sick, Chad. Uh, cool. So I guess we could talk next about a Polygon a bit because we, so we had that discussion on Monday. We had, I mean, if anyone didn't see it, Jack from the Polygon uh, BizDev team came on. Uh, he's someone that we met at East Denver and, you know, a relationship that we definitely want to build and explore and uh, get, you know, get Polygon connected to, uh, to ThorChain because it, 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 we think that there's a pretty big potential there for just like a really good partnership. So uh, we're, we're like still trying to figure out the, the shape of all this stuff right now. Um, and like right now it's kind of looking like um, what we want to be doing is connecting to their ZK EVM. It's, it also, it's also looking like the node costs are much less than anticipated. Um, so Chad, I don't know if you've looked into this at all, but it's actually uh, fairly cheap to run a Polygon ZK EVM node. But obviously there's concerns about the chain uh, you know, it's not even in mainnet right now. It, it's very new. So it's like, there's some concerns about that, but it's like the actual infrastructure cost of the uh, POS chain seems to be v comparatively very low. It kind of runs off of the, uh, the ETH daemon as well. Uh, so like a as, a, as a Polygon ZK EVM node, you don't need to run the prover, which is like the, the very computationally expensive bit uh, which is what makes these 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 nodes so bulky. But like, uh, you know, obviously, just observing the blocks, you don't need to um, to run that bit of things. So, like, it seems like the infrastructure cost is even is is much significantly less than even the Polygon POS chain, which is obviously like good news for uh, the integration because that means there needs to be less volume coming through just to make it you know economically worth it. But you know, right now, just exploring. Um, you know, what, what's in the Polygon ecosystem. And it like, if, if I were to ask the community for anything, just like, uh, you know, say like doing some research into like what's in Polygon, where ThorChain fits in, uh, because, you know, their ecosystem is very, very, very modular. Like they're, they're all, all of those projects are very tooled for EVM, very tooled for Polygon. And obviously we're very cross-chain, but we want to, you know, fit in in this ecosystem as well. So, like we're just trying to figure out like what wallets do we want to be in? What what DEXs do we want to be in? Like who like who are the strategic partners in like the Polygon side of things to really like make make an integration worth it and to get the maximum uh, amount of value out of something like this? So that's just what what we're exploring right now, like the, the shape of how everything is going to go. So yeah, just kind of. Um, just exploring and uh, you know figuring out like how we fit in in the Polygon ecosystem and how Polygon fits in in ours. But I think like zk EVM seems to be the, uh, the the strongest way forward and probably more where the space is going towards. You know, it, it's a forward looking move. Um, you know, going into the layer two space like this, but uh, you know, much more forward than doing integrating something like Polygon POS. So yeah, what are you guys' thoughts about? that whole discussion and uh, yeah, just Polygon and, and ThorChain in general. 
I think, um, I mean, I'm, I'm super excited. Like this is kind of the first time that we've gotten this much interest from an external protocol. I, I mean, I mean, it's not the first time, but it's, it's one that like, obviously Polygon being a top 10 coin, it's a very prominent and exciting space uh, right now. Um, and especially because Thorchain doesn't have any L2 exposure and obviously we don't have any ZK exposure. Um, it's a very exciting, like, dynamic uh you know they've they've basically um talked with us and said you know we'll connect you to projects in our ecosystem which is huge uh and i think you know that's that's really how these these kind of protocol integrations should work um and so i'm excited to see how this plays out i mean obviously it's not a done deal like um you know the it's not in mainnet right now um as familiar cow is saying it's like it is a, a cheap piece of infrastructure uh for now but obviously that will, the cost will scale as the chain grows larger. It's also kind of more of a complicated uh, piece of infrastructure um, because it runs its own ETH daemon as well. Um, so we just need to make sure like on the Bifrost side that nothing, you know, wonky happens there. So it's definitely, you know, I would say far from a front, uh, like a, a done deal. Uh, we definitely need to do more exploration on the infra side. But just in terms of the, you know, collaboration already that we've had with the Polygon team, it's very exciting. Um and so, you know, if we can have support from their engineers to run the infrastructure, if we can have support from their BD team to get us plugged into not only projects in the Polygon ecosystem, but their team is plugged into a lot of projects in crypto and even outside of crypto. Um, like they're connected with the Robinhood wallet team, for example. Like, obviously, that's a pipe dream, but, um, you know, who knows, right? Like, it, so it, anyway, it just seems like a very exciting setup. And if we can get it safely done on the infra side, and there's also the, the weird thing about how on ZK EVM, the gas asset is not Matic, it's ETH. It's, so it's a wrapped version of ETH. So we just need to think about, I think that is fine on the, like, in the Thor node code, but that's just a, another kind of idiosyncrasy that we have to um, make sure that is going to work. Um, so yeah, there, it's a, it's, again, it's a very new space, but it's exciting. We're going to take it slow. We're going to make sure we're going to get plugged into... Uh, the ecosystems that we want to and the products that we want to and that the infra is stable and uh you know not going to break things for the rest of thor chain that's obviously the most important thing uh, but for now it looks really good and we're going to keep on you know working with the polygon team to explore this yeah i think for for me what's what gets me excited about it, it's just as as Aerodanis mentioned like the polygon team it seems to be very bullish on this and, and, and the energy is behind is not just on our side it's also on their side and it reminds me a little bit how like Terra was when we added Terra. It was hugely successful. We had like a hundred million dollars in liquidity added within a few weeks, whatever the hell it was. We get a lot of you know uh, interested interest in the in our project, and we, we kind of pulled over some new people into our own community. It just was very good for the for the project. Unfortunately, it didn't end so well, obviously because Terra had some issues. Um, but it was very very beneficial when you have their ecosystem and our ecosystem ecosystem working together and like collaboratively launching some new integration versus something like, you know, uh, like Doge maybe, or, or, or Litecoin or whatever that, you know, maybe the market cap is high, but there's no kind of like cross cross talk going on in a, in a match speaking. So I think for me personally, I get much more excited about projects that are, that are excited to get to for us to be added to them. Right. Like products like, you know, uh, like Polygon, like Dash, like uh, Radix, like even smaller projects that have a lower market cap, I'm more excited about adding those because the community behind those would get more excited, add more liquidity, do more swaps, become room holders themselves, like all that process. 
they're much more valuable to me than than something like maybe Binance Smart Chain, which you know is really large in market cap, but but I'm not really seeing a lot of like calls to action from the the BSC community to like you know to be added to ThorChain. So I'm not really sure how much benefit we're actually going to see from something like that. Yeah, I mean, just to speak on that a little bit. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, the the BNB chain folks are definitely uh, they definitely want to be helpful and get us connected to as many projects as possible in the the BNB chain eco. Like, I, I, I so I, I think there's a big difference here in that. Like Jack from Polygon, he's a Thorchad. Like he understands exactly like how, how what Thorchain, and I know I know that he understands like you know, what, what ThorChain's actual capabilities are, you know, it's not a bridge, you, you can do swaps, there's yield and, and things like that. Like, he understands how ThorChain plugs in, while may, maybe the BNB people, um, you know, they, there's just so many things going on that they just, may, you know, maybe don't know, or just like, you know, there's, there's so many people building like disparate things in their ecosystem, uh, but they seem very keen to connect us with a lot of different projects in uh, in their eco. So uh, definitely like, like the BNB chain people are definitely no slouches. Like they're definitely trying to uh, do the work and get us plugged in, in that eco as well. And, you know, make the right connections and, you know, make the right strategic partners there. Uh, so, you know, it, it's not, it's not like they're just completely dropping the ball. Uh, although like that's been, you know, kind of the case in, in the past uh, you know, we're, we're definitely like, talking with the you know the people at all these ecosystems and like trying to make sure that we're we're lined up to have a successful integration yeah it's tough because i mean the ideal state is that you launch a new chain integration and you have a bunch of dexes and wallets in their ecosystem that launch day one as well um and yeah we have we have seen some interest like from the bnb chain people we have gotten connected to uh, what was what's the one Thena the theme, the new solid yep. fork on BNB chain we get we did con- get connected with them so we we have the touch points uh, in in e- like the BNB chain ecosystems we're getting the touch points in Polygon we obviously have touch points with the Dash community as, as well so it's like I want all of them <laughs> but it's like you know it's just tricky because uh, of the like important design aspects of Thorchain just like the cost to the, the validators like is, is really top of mind when we're, when we're making these decisions. So it's like, and it's hard to predict, right? Like we thought we had good connections in the avalanche ecosystem, but that really fell short, uh, which was unfortunate. Um, and so it's like, what we really want to do is be confident that the teams that we're working with are going to like walk the walk and talk the talk, you know, they're, they're talking the talk. If can they walk the walk, can they actually get us plugged in and get us users? Like that's like the biggest thing that like the nine realms team right now is trying to vet. Um, and we're trying to get as close to like commitments on, on, on these sides. And then we like need to like relay that to validators and, and come up with like a formal proposal so that they can choose like the right path forward. Like if I had my, you know, magic wand, I would, you know, integrate Dash, I would integrate Polygon, I'd integrate BNB chain over the next three months, all of them. But, you know, we just need to be realistic about the economics of it. We need to make sure that validators have a, you know, healthy stream of income, uh, they're not losing money. Um, so yeah, those are all the things that we're thinking about. It's like a tricky balancing act that we're doing, but we have a lot of exciting opportunities. So we just need to make sure that we're steering the community, you know, like just kind of making our recommendations, you know, telling them information that we're getting from these ecos- ecosystems and then allowing the validators to choose the right path forward. 
Yeah, if you have like a favorite project in one of these ecosystems, you know someone at these projects or you work for one of these projects, wallets, DEXs, aggregators, whatever, definitely get them in touch with us because, uh, you know, just getting that intro and uh, starting to explore the opportunity. Like now, now's the time where we're really trying to just like talk to everyone, everyone that we can and just uh, just see who the right partners are. So, uh, you know, if, if anyone here has those kinds of, um, you know, people like that that would like to connect to Thorchain's liquidity, then like now's the time. Just put them in touch with us. Just have someone DM the Thorchain Twitter account and we'll uh we'll get around to it. So yeah, bullish on integration season, Eridanus. Uh <laughs> a lot of a lot of integration stuff happening. Yeah, there's a there's a shit ton right now. Um it's super exciting. Uh we're getting interest from, I mean, what's really cool is that like, you know, I, we, we've kind of been focusing a lot on wallets um, and there's a few other like kind of eco, like kind of different kinds of projects that are coming into the scope of things now, like protocols like Unizen and LiFi um, that are kind of like bridge aggregators. I mean, Unizen is, is moving like they've been EVM only, but they're moving into UTXO land and we're, we're basically helping them do that. And they're going to have BTC to EVM swaps baked in, um, you know, very quickly through Thorchain, uh, which is super exciting. Um, I mean, teams like like Rango, obviously already live as as a bridge DEX aggregator, and LiFi now, I think, working with the the ThorSwap team, I believe, uh, to integrate their their API and you know route BTC trades through Thorchain. So, uh, so the the protocol space is is definitely expanding. Uh, we're talking to a few others as well. And then this whole ordinals thing is really creating a lot of cool interest from, you know, the ETH, the traditional ETH, DeFi, NFT uh, kind of ecosystems are now, you know, have a renewed interest in Bitcoin. And how many times have you seen on Twitter the last like couple of weeks, like, oh, I need to, I need, uh, you know, I want Bitcoin. I have ETH. Like, how do I do this without going through a centralized service? And like Thorchain is always the answer. Um, and so... You know, this is super exciting. We have like five or six ordinals wallets that we're talking to right now. Um, and like, that's just super exciting for me because that's going to bring in new users, like users that haven't even heard of Thorchain, have never swapped uh, cross chain in a decentralized way. And like, that's just like, that's like fresh blood, baby. We love it. So uh, that's super exciting for me as well. Yeah. I keep mentioning this, but Thorchain as a crypto on off ramp to these ecosystems is super powerful, especially you think about an ordinals wallet. Th their target audience is people who trade nfts where are people who trade nfts they're on uh th they're on ethereum right now like that that is where 99 percent of these people are and obviously what's the only route between these two chains uh it's it's us so the door chain as that crypto native on off ramp is like a super powerful narrative and it's like that's how these projects are going to grow themselves is they need to be able to offer those on and off ramps into their ecosystem. You think about single chain wallets. If, if someone has a Doge only wallet, uh, how are they going to get new users, especially when you're talking about real native assets? There really isn't a lot of new Doge people like coming around trying, trying new wallets, but getting people from other ecosystems to to join with a crypto native on off-ramp, that's pretty powerful because you can control that whole stack and that's all powered through Thorchain. So, I mean, just just another use case for Thorchain, the, like you could think of the, the swap itself as the onboarding into the wallet or, or offboarding the wallet. So it's like just 
another layer of the stack that um, you know Thorchain can help power and help enable these other wallets and, and ecosystems to actually get new users themselves. And speaking about the integrations you were just talking about, uh, Unizen looking like they're about to launch like any any day now, basically. Yep. Yeah, they've been moving. So they're they're gonna um, do like just BTC to ETH and I think AVAX swaps from from uh, for day one, and then uh, I'm actually helping them. They're gonna be running their own Dex Ag contracts, which is cool. Um, so I think right now the the big players in the dex ag space are like thor swap and uh rango and xd5 have some contracts as well so uh, i'm just excited to see other players join that space that aren't like native to the to the thor chain ecosystem um because it's just like we're expanding like this use case that's super powerful um and just like getting more interest from it so yeah they'll be writing out their own dex ag contracts to get whitelisted oh and uh another protocol symbi symbiosis has also been uh working with us reaching out to get their uh, protocol plugged in as well. So um, yeah, man, the, the protocol space is super exciting. It's, it's not one that like Nine Realms has really um, been getting after too hard just because we've been focusing on wallets because they already have the UTXO EVM support and Cosmos support. They already have the asset infrastructure. And so it's much easier to just like plug that in. But just like the renewed and like kind of the, honestly, the cold inbound that we've received from protocols is, is super cool. Just compare that to like even like a year ago. <laughs> like, I know it's insane. It's insane. Like I remember, like honestly, like a year ago, we, we were, it was almost like pulling teeth to talk to, to projects and, and try to explain to them the value of Bitcoin or something like something silly like this. It's like pulling teeth. If, if you remember uh, Iridanus. And, oh yeah. Um, and, and a year later, and you know, we go to East, East Denver or whatever, and, and you know. We have tons of people that are talking to us and interested in integrating in one form or another. And just like what, what, a, what a difference a year makes. And I can't imagine we're going to be in another year. Yeah, it's been like <laughs> the last year has been pretty like when we, like when we really started going after integrations like last year. Like, yeah, I mean, Chad, we were on so many conversations where we would just like hang up and then like get on another call to like huddle and be like, what the fuck was that? Like, you know, just like <laughs> they're just like. <laughs> I, like just I'm not going to name any names, but just some of the conversations we had where there was just no I guess, I guess and, and you know it's it's fair right because like some you know some ecosystems are just maxis on their own ecosystems and they're just like well we don't want native assets we want wrapped assets on our chain um, and just like you know it's just a difference of opinions difference of visions but I really feel like the narrative of Thorchain and the narrative of cross chain native assets is really ramping up and like people are like kind of coming back and being like okay now this is valid. Um, and this is important, especially especially when like all these centralized services are just shutting down, and you know we're trying to decentralize everything. Like we're we're here, we're here to do it, and we'll you know welcome them with open arms whenever they're ready. Also, a good point that Chad made is a lot of other ecosystems painting themselves into a corner, just code wise. I don't know if you, if you want to. I, you, you talked about this like earlier this week. I, I don't know, forget what channel this was, but uh, talking about how a lot of other protocols are kind of pinning themselves into a corner in uh you know being able to support the things that as in they won't be able to support all of the things that thorchain supports because obviously like we're we're, we have a much better like overall design so yeah what what was the yeah i mean that's that's just uh poking upon the idea that like if if you're building something 
uh, even in the cross-chain sense where you're you're building it via smart contracts or something of this nature, you are coding yourself into a corner. Like you're you're pigeonholing yourself in a way that you cannot un- undo that, right? If, or if you do undo it, you you literally have to throw away everything that you have and then start from you know from literally ground zero. And I remember like uh, I'm not going to mention the project. I don't think it'd be nice, but like there was somebody who was doing like. Um, I think it was lending or something like this. I can't remember. It was years ago. And they built something for, I think it was Binance Chain. But they did it in a way that was like that that implementation would only work for Binance Chain. And it was just like, you instead of building something generic that you could reuse for Binance Chain, but other systems as well, you just built yourself, you wrote, coded yourself into a corner. You had to use this, this particular implementation for this particular chain, which is just, you know, from an engineering perspective is fucking stupid. Uh, and so it, anybody who's going for the lower hanging fruit of EVM chains, which is very easy to, to write some Solidity code and just deploy it because you don't have to worry about uh, anything else. Right? Like even within the context of ThorChain, like when you write a smart contract that does AMMs, for example, that all you're really building is the business logic, which is not very much. It's like, you know, maybe a thousand or two thousand lines of code. Like it's not very that, that much. ThorChain itself, like the swap logic of ThorChain is actually quite simple. Similarly, it's only about maybe about 2,000 lines of code, the actual business logic of the AMM itself. And then we have all these things about like Bifrost and observations and, and like gas managing and, and TSS and like all these other things so that we can connect to arbitrarily any other chain we want to. And so like ends up being that like 98% of the code or 90%, some huge amount, 95, 98%, whatever the number is, is just around being able to be flexible and so that we can connect to and integrate with arbitrarily any asset or any um, chain and more or less in the world, uh, including even really difficult chains like Monero, uh, crypto node chains. And so like we've, we've spent the extra years that it takes rather than going for the low hanging fruit, which we actually had that conversation with the low hanging fruit, the, the, the Ethereum only thing like many, 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 many years ago. And we dismissed it out of hand fairly quickly. So we know we, we knew we didn't want to solve like half of the problem. What we, we knew we wanted to solve the, the with the actual root cause, like the actual root issue. And so uh, we spent years to, to design and develop the infrastructure around building this kind of chain agnostic infrastructure, which is the vast, vast, vast majority of the code that we have that does exactly that. And very few of the code actually does the AMM stuff. Uh, and then once we have all that, we've solved like the really difficult problem, which nobody else in the industry has actually has, has solved other than forking what we're doing. Um, we can apply that same kind of uh, flexibility and power and then apply it not just to AMMs, but to uh, earnings products and lending products and, you know, order books, potentially, potentially perpetuals, right? Uh, perps, like that just opens up things that we can do that nobody in the industry can possibly even, even do what we do unless they fork our design or fork what we're doing, um, which is pretty, pretty incredible. Yeah, man. Uh, and uh, so earlier this week, like related to this, I was in a space with uh, with Chainflip, listening to them. It's, I, I'm especially curious about this, given like this the, the results of this like last weekend, right? Where uh, there's mass panic about USDC specifically and Chainflip. Their core design is to pair everything against. USDC, which seems to me like obviously, like I, I like I, I'm 
very interested just to see what they're building and like you know obviously like it's something that we're going to want to connect to in the future probably but just like thinking about the design from like from first principles right you, you're thinking about like the censorship resistance of the protocol if something were to happen with you know usdc or circle or something like that the chain chain flip is in a very bad position and that that's that's the positioning of their protocol where you know they they accept that as like a like a base level risk of like hey if if usdc all of a sudden starts getting censored or you know you you can't move it without kyc or something like that it's not that big of a deal for for thorchain uh and obviously like it would be bad for the LPs in, in ThorChain, but the actual network itself will just continue to function as normal. You take that same scenario and you push it over to like something like Chainflip, something that's designed around that token. They, they're in a very, very uncomfortable position where they're, you know, every single one of their pools is in a, in a very unfavorable uh, position and that's just because of the the base design so it's like a lot of protocols are not thinking about the long-term sustainability and just just the uh you know censorship resistance and you know always preparing for the worst and in being at, like an actual like unstoppable protocol uh you know not not even just talking about like you know pinning yourself into a, a corner with smart contracts but just like the overall infrastructure and design of Thorchain, uh, you know, designed from the beginning to be able to resist some, some type of attack like that. Yeah, it, uh, not to get too brutal on Chainflip here, but um, the whole USDC, so there, as you mentioned, they use USDC as the, the base asset for all the pools. So USDC paired with something else on all their pools, which is is bad in a lot of ways, right? Uh, for one, the IL that you would experience and having every pool being one asset is volatile, one asset is non-volatile, the IL is going to be the highest as possibly can be, right, for all of their pools, right? That's, you know, not necessarily the, the greatest thing to start with. Second of all is that they, because they don't have their, their, their own asset that that's in all the pools, how are they going to accomplish the idea of block rewards, right? They can't just, like, print USDC and dump it in the pools. That would be silly for obvious reasons so they they're not probably they're probably not going to have some form of block rewards for the lps so the the yield of the pools will be very 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 low because there's no block rewards the il is going to be high right so there's like there'll be a lot of losses in that sense and then on top of that with how they're accomplishing what's called jit which is just in time uh, liquidity you basically have two different types of lps you have the active lp who's you know, smart and run servers and basically does, is a form of MEV on top of the network. And, and people who can run that kind of infrastructure and has, have that understanding, they can make, you know, maybe maybe they can make decent money, but the passive LPs are getting like just ripped from, right? So you have massive IL, you have passive LPs who are going to get, you know, uh, screwed out of a lot of money because the active LPs are taking it from them. And then on top of that, you don't have any way for them to earn an income. You're earning income solely based on the swap fees, which for a brand new network is probably going to be not a lot of swaps happening in that network, at least in the early days. So it's just like the from an LP perspective, how they're positioning this protocol is going to be, you know, it's going to be rough. It's going to be rather rough. Yeah, we still like them though, and obviously appreciate what what it is they're building because this is not an easy space to be 
a part of. So best of luck to their team for, you know, building out their product. And hopefully they actually, I, I uh, actually slated to launch this year sometime. So, you know, hopefully they're obviously successful and I wish them the best of everything. Good luck to them in their future endeavors. Uh, last thing, Chad, would you like to talk about the uh, UTXO halts and that, that postmortem? Pluto posted a postmortem. I should actually probably pin that up here on top of the space. Yeah, so as people remember, like, uh, the we, we had paused trading uh, and paused a few of the chains, the UTXO chains. We had, I received word from a, a couple of friends of mine who uh, notified me of a of an, a, a significant exploit on um, a bunch of the UTXO chains. I think it's like over two hundred of the UTXO chains were 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 affected by this particular thing. Bitcoin was not one of them, um, and I think Doge was not one of them as well in the end. But um, uh, so I got word of a significant issue, but but people were pretty tight lipped on the the details of like how what the actual exploit was they were trying to keep it quiet so that they could patch it before things you know got out of hand and so uh but we made the choice to to be uh to think mostly about the lps of those uh chains and make sure they didn't lose their funds but through some sort of attack we are the only decks for those exchanges for those uh, chains so like you know obviously we'd be like the primary target in an exploit like this to be honest with you uh, and so it, uh, so eventually the information came out about the details of the thing and it, it's, it's called rabies. Uh, that's the name of, that the Halborn team has, has named it. It effectively allows an attacker to cause all the other nodes in the, in the network to like basically crash and die, which then leaves only, you know, your, you and your nodes that are mining blocks for, um, you know, Litecoin or something like this. Uh, which allows you, in theory, to have like a fifty-one percent attack onto those chains. Um, in addition, there was a, there was talks about some like um, some RCE, uh, remote code execution, as well from this from a, um, another separate bug, but in the same kind of field. Uh, that ended up not being as big of a deal because you needed authentication. So unless unless you were you know running your your Litecoin node with without authentication publicly, then you would have been fine from the scenario. So it wasn't that those, those other bugs weren't, weren't as significant as we initially thought, but, um, but still like the, the idea was that we wanted to make sure we, we protect people's funds. That's obviously the most important thing to us by a long shot. So if, anytime we, we, we receive credible information from credible individuals that there could be some major exploit on a given chain, uh, we'll obviously do our best to protect people's funds and, and, and do all that stuff. Yep. And uh, I believe it didn't apply to Doge, uh, where that was on pause early because um, when we got some further details about the exploit, it was determined that it was not applicable to that, I, I believe. Yeah, it's because Doge was actually, if I'm not mistaken, and I hope I understand this correctly, that, that the Doge was actually discovered of this bug like a year ago, and it was patched, but then nobody thought to check the other UTXO chains. <laughs> I think it's what happened. And so they're like, oh, wait a minute. This this issue could be applied to Litecoin and other things as well. Oh, shit. Uh, Bitcoin was patched by accident. Bitcoin actually had this bug for some period of time before, and it made a code change um, that fixed this bug inadvertently just by accident. Uh, and then the other UTXO chains didn't pull in the upstream. And so that's why it affected um, some UTXOs, but not Bitcoin and not, not Doge. 
cool. Thanks for the info on that. Uh, yeah, if people have questions or like comments about that, then for sure come up. Uh, and yeah, I guess we'll open it up now. If people have, if people just want to come up and ask about anything, so we, again, what did we talk about today? We talked about uh, lending. We talked about Polygon zk EVM potential integration. Just talked about integrations in general. Uh, UTXO halt and uh, yeah, just just lending, I guess. Uh, so yeah, if anyone would like to come up and ask some questions, like now's the time. You can ask about anything, not just those things, but. Uh, yeah, I was actually hoping uh, that Bob would would join us. <laughs> I would have loved to have a conversation with him, Bob. Uh, so I actually spoke to this. I had a podcast with this. I think we're talking about the same Bob. Uh, the the Bob Bob McFadden or McFarlane or whatever the hell his name. Yeah, there's like two Bobs. I was on a podcast with them like two days ago. They're they're really fun actually. They're talking to me with like voice modulators on. It's it's pretty entertaining. <laughs> any questions from the audience q a ask me yeah anything. i got to uh thor pill them a little bit i well they're definitely like rune bulls and stuff like that but just like you know just talking about the stuff that um you know the stuff that we talk about here every every week basically just lending and uh you know just everything that we're excited about integrations and uh and everything so it was a fun podcast. Like it's like, a pretty small uh, podcast, but good group of guys. It's fun talking to people in the crypto community. That's why we started doing these in the first place. Cause it's just like, otherwise it's just people like tweeting at each other. You know, it's not really, it's like actual conversation, but like, I feel like spaces is just a good medium because you can just actually just hear other people. So uh, that's why I started doing these in the first place. So. By the way, while we're on the, the topic of, of podcasts, uh, my friend and I, my friend Preston and I, were, I've been talking about putting together a podcast ourselves where we do kind of technical or economic deep deep dives into various projects and kind of analyze the inner, inner workings to um, explain how they work uh, and how they don't work if they have some sort of critical flaws in their implementation or designs. So be on the lookout, lookout for that. Uh, that's going to be coming out um, the next couple of weeks, I think. That's great. Have you guys recorded episodes? Nice. Uh, I think we're going to record our first episode uh, today, I think, later later today. We got the name picked out. We got the domain bought. Uh, we got the like logo and cover art made and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so we have, we still have to build like the website and, and uh, you know, we figured out how to like actually do the recording itself and like editing and all that kind of stuff. We figured out a lot of the stuff. It's a little more to do. But probably the first episode will probably come out in the next like week, maybe two. Awesome. Looking forward to that. That'll be cool. Is it gonna be like weekly or just kinda like as it as it comes? Uh more as it comes. Like him and I are both uh obviously builders in the space, which is part of the reason why we wanted creatives, because like a lot of people who are, you know, YouTubers or podcasters or whatever. Um, you know, they don't have the experience or expertise that myself and my friend Preston have. And so we kind of feel like we can offer a, a, you know, a good insight. But well, because we're both busy with our, you know, ThorChain and I'm busy with ThorChain and Archeo and he's busy with this thing called UpShield. Um, you know, it'll probably come secondary to, to that. And so we'll probably have an episode come out like maybe once every two weeks, maybe four weeks. That's the, the cadence we're, we're trying to trying to hit. 
I can't wait to listen to that. Uh, you guys, you guys are uh, fun to be around. So it's like it'll just be like uh, listening to two old friends just argue at each other. Yeah, Press and I actually like we don't agree on many things. We're, we just see things very differently between the two of us, which I think is I think it's going to make us pretty good and fun hosts. We argue a lot. We we like make fun of each other a lot. Like we're really good friends. But uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be more you know more combative by some in some sense, and I think that's just gonna make it make a more interesting and fun show to listen to some people like argue and uh, and yell at each other about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like we might have. He he's a kind of against the idea of like not your coins, not your crypto, right? He holds this idea that we shouldn't be doing that because most people are too dumb to basically do it. Which he's not wrong, and he's not right either. It's, it's gonna be interesting. Like, we're gonna have some good arguments back and forth between him and I. <laughs> I brought up Ghost Rider. Hey, Ghost Rider. Hi, everyone. Uh, first, I have to say, uh, congrats for this amazing product, and um, I'm really impressed about the team and all this. Yeah. So uh, I have two questions. First, um, I hope you understand. My English isn't that good. So. Um, we have a second reserve, the 60 millions from Rune tokens. Can you maybe a little bit explain what you want to do with this or yes? So that was the, the 60 million Rune tokens in the treasure. The standby now, reserve. To go the reserve. Yeah, the standby exactly, reserve. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's to be determined in some sense. Um, there's really two use cases for it that we have in mind so far. One is just uh, putting into the reserve itself, which would increase the block rewards, and which is kind of nice. Uh, the other option is um, burning some of it. And you heard that right, burning some of it. Uh, and by burning it, it, it allows lending to scale faster. So uh, the lending system, like and how it caps the amount of loans that it allows to be opened is relative to the amount of like missing room from the 500 million caps. So right now we're like missing about 15 million room. This is largely from the, um, from the, um, the kill switch. And so we take that number 15 million, we divide by five, we got 5 million rune. That's the amount of collateral in terms of value the network will, will be allowed to be taken if we just launched lending right now. And so if we burnt another 5 million or 10 million, we would add to that. Right, and so if we wanted to to allow more loans to be taken out, we can start just burning some of that rune, uh, and and allowing lending to scale uh, more and faster. Uh, whether that actually happens or not, I don't know. It's something. That, it's a conversation we've been having in, in the back end, so to speak. Um, nothing's been determined about what the final resting place of that is going to be, but for right now, it's either it's going to be deposited into the reserve or it's going to be burnt to help scale lending. Okay, thanks. Um, second question. It's a little bit more technical one. So, about POL. Um, so, um, I see when savers come in, uh, they will take rune out. So, there is no rune pressure when uh, savers go in. And uh, the POL, POL will kick in when, when the synth is about 50%. I don't know exactly the number. That, uh, my question is, is that um, that is a non-event non of the room price. 
Is that correct? Because savers take out the rune as, uh, because it buys the other asset. Um, how, sorry, no. Yeah, you can explain better, but it's a non-event, no? Uh, so it depends. So if you had, if, if the same set are at 50% utilization right now, and then somebody were to deploy some, some Bitcoin as savers, and then the POL would enter some rune to the pool, which basically sells some rune to, to do so. And so it, it basically like the entering savers creates some buy pressure, POL creates some sell pressure, and they effectively cancel each other out in terms of the context of savers. So there's like a non, it is a non-event in yes, that sense. Yes, exactly. Uh, exactly. Yes. But con- what happens conversely, what happens if the rune price drops uh, without adding savers? So we will yes. hit we will hit the forty-five uh, percent, and then the reserve uh, kicks in. Uh, oh, sorry, the POL kicks in, and uh, sell rune. And couldn't that be, uh, 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 yeah, like a a level uh, death spiral? No, it wouldn't be a death. So th- there is some reflexivity for sure. Um... It does, in a sense, like if, if we're at fifty percent digitalization and then the room price uh, decreases, which means the digitalization goes from fifty percent to fifty five percent, the POL will then start adding room to the pool, which causes some sell pressure to push it back down to fifty. So it does create some reflexivity for sure, and both in the up direction or the uh, the down direction, depending on where um, if the POLs were moving, it's it's if the room price goes uh, up and, and uh, up enough that the POL starts withdrawing. That you start creating some buy pressure, so it, it does create more like reflexivity, but it's not a death spiral, right? Like, like the analogy I have in my mind is kind of like if if you go to a bar, right, and you're hanging out with your friends, you you don't speak at a normal speaking level. You speak louder than you typically do, like you know, in a in a empty room with your friends, right? Because there's other people talking, everybody's you know talking above above each other and around each other. So you're talking louder, but you're not screaming. You're not like it's not like you walk into a bar and all of a sudden, like you know, you just it's just like nobody can hear anything at all because uh, everybody's screaming at the top of their fucking lungs. So it's, that would be like a death spiral that like it causes everybody just to increasingly yell loud, louder, and louder, louder, louder. That's not what happens in bars for the most part. It's kind of conceptually some of that. Like you only get a death spiral when the added pressure that you're creating on the price is greater than it was in the. The, the moment was before and that's not the case with this kind of uh situation it does create a reflexivity for sure that's true but it's not gonna wouldn't create a death spiral okay thanks yes yeah it makes sense um if you have time can i ask a first question or... sure go ahead. okay um third question is about lp um is that correct? When I think about LP, I think uh, with savers, it's like a leverage position. So uh, if room goes up, um, and now at the time there are more savers, not more, but lots of savers, and uh, not that much of LPs. So it's like a really leverage position for the LPs when room goes up or down. Is that correct? Yeah, so 
Yeah, so as a dual SAT LP, you are taking a leveraged position on ruin in some sense. And how much leverage that is, is relative to the quantity of cents as a percentage of the pool. Uh, so the greater the, qu the quantity, the, uh, you know, the more leverage you take on. And the less the quantity, the less less leverage take on. So okay. uh, that's effectively what it is. So the POL's job, in some sense, is to cap what that leverage is, which is we're capping at fifty percent cent utilization, okay. uh, and it's fifty percent for that kind of like you know neutral thing we were just talking about one before, with like if you add savers, it creates some buy pressure. If you add POL, add some sell pressure, the two of them cancel each other out. Cancel each other out. That's why it's fifty percent. If you were to do less than fifty percent, do it forty percent, it would be a net negative on the room price. Uh, and so we don't want to do that. So 50% is where we're at. POL kind of creates a cap of what the leverage can be for a dual set LP. Um, and that's how it's uh, designed at the moment. Yeah, I actually just pinned up a tweet on the top here. Uh, I put out a tweet earlier this week about um, just the modern LP dynamics that I there's definitely people who still don't understand the, the synths leverage concept. So uh, definitely like, you know, bookmark that or just, you know, save it and read it later. Uh, if you can, it helps explain a lot about, you know, why synths add leverage to LPs and just, you know, how, how all that works. Uh, like when, when is value taken from LPs and given to savers and when is, uh, when is value taken from savers and given to LPs. So uh, obviously, that's a function of the rune price. So, uh, you know, I, I talk a little bit about like why savers, uh, so why dual L APRs are where they are at this point. Like, why? What? Okay, so here, here's the question that, that I'll that I'll ask right now: uh, Why it, are dual LP uh, APRs so low at this very moment? Now, there's there's two like there's two reasons for that. First, being synths slash savers. So uh, with increased synth leverage, uh, because there's more savers, and the synths is the primary driver of this, but the primary demand center for synths is savers. So I'm just going to kind of use those interchangeably. As there's more synths on the network, as Chad just said, there's basically increased leverage on those LP positions. So they are more price sensitive to Rune. So, so the, the other part of what I was just saying, the, the second part, is the the rune asset price so you can think of it the rune bitcoin price how how many how much rune is there in one bitcoin uh and right now it's at like it, it's at lows since the network started basically uh you know two two year lows for like rune the rune bitcoin pair and uh the way you can think of it when the rune bitcoin price goes down more value has to be taken from the dual LPs and given to savers because the, the network always ensures that it has 100% of the liquidity uh, available to make sure all the savers can get out uh, all of their L1 asset one-to-one. -one. And so make sure it has all the liquidity needed to always back every single saver. But it does that by taking it from the dual LPs. So when the, the Rune asset price gets low, we're going to see low... APRs. And that's because the that calculation is, is it, it, they, the calculation looks back. It, it's a all these APR calculations are always backwards looking. And obviously, all it can tell you is what was the performance over this time period. So the, the, there's a, a time element there in like looking at what an APR actually is. 
So you can have a 30-day APR, look at the last 30 days. You could have a 180-day APR, look at the last six months. You could look at it for the past year. You could look at it since the pool started. And obviously, like, that number is not going to be the same as, like, if you entered an LP because uh, you're just looking at two different at two, at, at two different things. So especially when the, the Rune Bitcoin price is low, we're going to see very low APRs because that calculation on most of these front ends is inclusive of that synth leverage. So it, it, it says like, oh, okay, what is the change of value of the, the pool itself, the entire pool, not any individual's position in the pool, but the pool itself over the last 30 days or the past 180 days or a year or whatever, what is basically the slope of this line and where will it be in one year? And that is, you know, given that same slope, like what, what, what would it be in one year? And that is what the APR is. So with like Rune Bitcoin being very low, value being taken from the dual LPs and given to the savers, that makes for a low APR. Now, if you look at a case where Rune goes up versus Bitcoin, that's the complete opposite, where the savers are giving their value to the dual LPs because less liquidity is needed to fully back those uh, uh, the, the, the savers' synth positions, right? So values taken from the savers and given to the dual LPs, and they're going to see much, much higher APRs like in, in times where Rune is really moving against, uh, against Bitcoin. So it's all a function of the Rune Bitcoin price. And definitely check out that thread if you're kind of confused on what I mentioned. Uh, hopefully that can explain it. And uh, yeah, if you've got more questions about that, or if anyone has questions about just the, the LP dynamics and kind of how all this works, uh, definitely check it out. And if you're an LP, like this is stuff you really need to know to, uh, you know, to stay alive out, out there. Because like, it, like in my, my personal opinion, you don't want to be withdrawing a Bitcoin rune LP lower than the ratio at which you deposited it. Because at that point, your value is just being taken up by savers, by people who are uh, basically insured against the value of their of their Bitcoin, and you're the insurance. So, like, uh, yeah. So, just some things to think about there. Uh, hopefully, that kind of explained things a little bit. Since leverage. Yes, uh, thanks a lot. I, I understand, and um, yeah. Also, uh, congrats. Congrats to your team also. And uh, yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, just a little question. So if I understand correct, if, if you go up, for example, in the BTC rune pool, um, uh, the, the leverage is bigger or has to be bigger than the, the um, impermanent loss. Isn't that correct? If room goes up against the other against uh, Bitcoin, for example, yeah, if room goes up against the other asset, then the LP, the dual LP, will gain more value out of that. the The saber is unaffected. They actually give some of their like they 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 don't lose anything in in terms in like Bitcoin terms, but they give up like the more of the total value of their liquidity units to the the dual LPs. So that's that's kind of where the the leverage plays in. Because you can think about it like all the pools are made up of rune. Like, you know, when we were talking about the rune Bitcoin pool, it's all made up of rune and Bitcoin. So it's like if if rune goes up, but you know half the pool is priced just in terms of Bitcoin, then all that extra rune value basically just goes towards the dual LPs. So that's that's kind of where the leverage 
comes into play there. So like Rune Bitcoin LPs are price sensitive based on like the, the ratio of, uh, of of Rune and Bitcoin. And they need to be thinking about that and thinking about uh, synths and, and savers. Thanks a lot. Yeah, one of the interesting things is that in the case of IL, it doesn't matter which asset is moving up or which asset is moving down, you, you experience loss, right? But in the case of, because of sense, in our case, if Rune's price is going up, you don't experience loss, you experience you know, gain. And if Rune's price is going down, then you experience loss, not gain. So it's like IL goes, and it doesn't matter which, which assets move up or which assets move down. But in a sense, it does. And so if you're experiencing IL because the room's price is pumping, then you also experience positive aspects in the synthetics. So it's kind of interesting to uh, play on the numbers. Yep, yep, exactly. And I've seen, there's been so many questions about this, especially about the APRs being low. It, remember, it, APRs are strictly backwards looking. Like they, past performance obviously does not guarantee future results. And that's, that's never been true, never will be true. So when you, remember, when you're looking at an APR, you're looking at what did happen over a given period of time and not what will happen over, you know, the unlimited period of time that's in front of us. So that's kind of what I think of when I think about APRs and just like, uh, all, all that stuff. Just, just, just remember, like what, what you're looking at is a is a past projection. It's like looking backwards. Yeah, APRs is interesting because uh, I mean, in this moment, we're kind of like in the bear market, right? And so it's a natural thing to happen when you get a bear market is you get less trade volume and uh, you know less of that kind of stuff. We're seeing that across the board across all decks in the industry, right? On top of that, you also held the room prices down, like from it's all the high being like 20, 21 dollars. Now it's at like a buck fifty, whatever the number is. And so then the blocker words that you're that you're putting into the pool is now worth a lot less, right? Worth, you know, almost twenty x less than it was. You know, when the market was at its all time highs. And so you have that effect as well. Um, but then counteractively, you also have what the work that Eric Dance was doing, and then again, I'm in general and you, Kyle, about uh, getting more swap and trade volume, just natural swap and trade volume through just getting more integrations like Trust Wallet and Unizen and, and all these things. And so that's why recently we've been seeing all these all-time highs, even in a bear market, which is kind of crazy to think about, but it's true. Like we recently saw that the income for, for, for uh, pools, more than half was from swap fees. Like versus when we were at our all-time high, you know, a year ago, the hell it was, the swap fees was was maybe ten percent or fifteen percent of the income for the pools, so we're like we're seeing an increased quantity of swap volume happening there just through the integrations alone, and then on top of that, we're also seeing increased liquidity in terms of number of tokens into the network. Right, we're we're almost matching the the all time high of the number of BDC in the network, even though we're at like the bottom of the bear market, which is just like. That's just nutty as all hell, but that's just the reality of the situation. So, like from a fundamental perspective, like we're performing extremely well. Like, I'm actually quite proud of what we've accomplished in the last few months. And so, like while the some some numbers are down, like you know dual side LP numbers are down, or just the room price is down, or whatever. Like if you look step back and just look at the at the fundamentals here, it's extremely strong. 
And all those other numbers that are like currently down, I think naturally will over the long, long term should be reflected. Yeah, that's absolutely huge. I mean, it's, it's amazing to see uh, over half the, the fees coming from, or half the earnings coming, coming from fees. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's like eventually like someday, like, yeah, it might be really, really a high proportion. Right. Though the funny thing is, I guess, I, I guess if, if Rune were to pump, that would actually go down. Right. Because then, because then you have the block rewards being so much more valuable. So there'll be an interesting dynamic there as things, as things turn bull. But yeah, I mean, totally agree. Of course, like very much, very much really positive signs and a great place to be in the, in the depths of the bear. <laughs> Right. So if you were to launch lending tomorrow, let's we'll say, and people started buying millions of rune, just pulling it from the pools and then, and then burning it, you're going to have this, like multiple factors of, yes, you're going to have the room price pump. And yes, you're going to have the percentage of income from the pools coming more from the block awards than the swap fees. But then you also, at the same time, you have all these swaps happening with networks that will open and close their loans, which is also going to increase the number of swap fees that's happening. It also costs more arbitrage costs to do more arbitrage because there's more uh, organic swaps and trades on in the network. So it's like there's like so many facets that are being moved at the same time, uh, but all in the right in the same direction. Cool. Um, last thing, I guess we'll I'll hear some words of wisdom from uh, Jimmy the Otter. Hey, <laughs> Jimmy, what's uh, up? much appreciated. Uh, it's good to be here to give one of the last opinions. You know, I am a Thorchain <clears throat> Maxi. And it's just good to hear your guys' voice during this time of turmoil to see a project that actually accomplishes its goals. But you know I am recruiting for the Thorchain Special Forces. I'm asking all, all believers to come and join the commandos because we are in the trenches and this is a war to talk about Thorchain. We got to get on the rocket ship and we got to get to the moon. And how do we do that? Well, we're going to get in the rocket ship and we're going to hear the birds go Yep. Yes. Wow. Inspiring. Thanks Jimmy. Uh Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess uh, we'll see you guys next Friday. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good. That's we, we can't. The more we say, it just it just devalues what we just ended on. So let's just wrap it there. <laughs> All right, guys. Good talking with you again. All right. See you guys. Yep. Peace.